Welcome to the Suffering Podcast. Each week, we walk you through how suffering is the way to sustainable success and the path to greatness. We are now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any other major podcast platform. Please subscribe and like to get the latest episodes as soon as they drop. You can always find our latest episodes at thesufferingpodcast.buzzsprout.com. Please comment. We may even read your comments on future podcasts and even reach out to you for a future guest spot. Like and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for The Suffering Podcast. Here you'll see links to episodes, updates, and inside information on how to achieve greatness through the joy of suffering. So get ready, sit down, and strap in. Strap in. We are proud to introduce the Dented Development Project. In conjunction with the Suffering Podcast, the Dented Development Project is a nonprofit 501c3 with a mission. That's to help first responders and their families repair dents caused by suffering. Visit us at DentedDevelopmentProject.com and get involved today. Helping us means that we can take care of those who take care of us. Sit your ass Sit your down. Ass down. Sit your ass Sit down. down. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. Sit your ass down. down. Sit your ass down. And strap in. This is gonna hurt. Gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt. Gonna hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. This is gonna hurt. It's time for the Suffering Podcast. We all need a little relief from time to time. And there's a new product out there that I want you to go check out. It's called Heroes Relief Wine. This wine's gonna benefit four organizations dedicated to relieving the heavy burdens that weigh on our military and first responders' shoulders. These are people who take care of us. It's time we start returning the favor. This wine's gonna benefit Live Free Farm, a veteran-run and owned animal sanctuary dedicated to the healing of invisible scars through animal therapy. 23rd Hour Angels, the healing team is comprised of three beautiful women that rescue military and first responders from the burdens that trauma causes. Dented Development Project and the Suffering Podcast help repair dents caused by suffering in first responders and their families by showing how there is light in the end of the tunnel. So go to oldyorksellers.com and search for Heroes Relief Wine or check our show notes for the link. The writer Ambrose Beer said, The hardest tumble a man can take is to fumble over his own bluff. As men, we are taught to be invulnerable and impervious to pain. But men hurt. Men suffer. Too often in silence. Cry and you fear being called a sissy. Ask for help and you're weak. Lose and the world will come crashing down on your shoulders, destroying everybody around you. That's all bullshit. I'm a man, yet I cry. That release lightens the weight off my shoulders. I'm a man... Yet I require help on numerous occasions, which has made me a stronger and better person. I am a man, and I've lost many times, learning more from my losses than my victories. As a man, I refuse to fall over the bluff of man. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felace, and on this episode of The Suffering Podcast, we sit down with Mark Vesper and Steve Sargent to discuss the suffering of men. Both men have successfully run a men's support group for many years, attempting to assure that others don't also fall over the bluff of men. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Kevin. It's our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Before we get into it, let's get into this week's social media question, and it's brought to us by Eric. And Eric writes, who taught you how to be a man? Mark, I'm going to start with you since you're both our guests. Who's that one person in your life you think that's taught you how to be a man? More than anyone would be my grandfather, lovingly Poppy. Poppy Vesper. Stop stealing my line. <laughs> Come on. That's why you should have went first. I'm going to have to pick somebody else now. <laughs> no, and I don't, no disservice to my dad who saw himself as a man's man. But fathers have a different responsibility than grandfathers. Yeah. Grandfathers get around for the good stuff. 
Fathers have to be the disciplinarian, have to be a provider, have to do all this stuff. Grandparents just can enjoy the good stuff and say, all right, now go home to your parents. Yeah. <laughs> True. True. Steve, how about you? Who's the one person in your life that taught you how to be a man? Well, it's a, I mean, first of all, it's a great question because we could look at it two different ways. There's two sides of that coin. Who taught us to be what we think mm-hmm. it is to be a man and then who taught us to be the man, just as in your opening, to, to be a, a, a real man, an authentic right. man. Well, I think a lot of times there's that myth, mm-hmm. and the myth kind of blurries and muddies the water a little bit. This person teaching you to be a man, I know this is in my my case, this person who taught me how to be a man, taught me every one of those things, but somehow in my mind, I convoluted it into thinking that I got to be impervious, I got to be tough, I got to do all this, because that's the only stuff I gravitated towards. Right. Who was your one person? So I would say it's my dad. It's my dad. I mean, my dad is meek. You know, he taught me how to be a husband, how to be a father, uh, how to be stern, but loving, how to serve sacrificially. And and that's just what he's done his whole life. It's who he is. So lots of uh, great stories and great principles there. But it was my dad. Mike Felice. It's definitely not you. I know that. It, it's, but. I was, I was going to point to me, <laughs> offer up my services if you're not a man yet. Yeah, I'm still, still trying to get there. <laughs> I, I would actually have to say my father also. I mean, my father graduated high school, never went to college. He started working for Western Electric at a young age, retired at a young age. Then he started going out into the business world, owned a club in Brooklyn for years. And, you know, I saw he was just a hustler and he showed me what hard work and determination was all about. Mark, you stole my answer. It's, you know what? Just go back and listen to other episodes because I talk about my grandfather as if he's still here. He's been gone for 25 years. That's the man, and this is why I was telling you, Steve, that that's the man that taught me everything about being a man. Unfortunately, I missed those, those valuable lessons about being a good loser, mm-hmm. learning how to cry, learning how if somebody calls you a sissy, who cares? Who cares? And this was a guy, again, who had an eighth grade, less than an eighth grade education. He was probably the smartest man I ever knew. And, you know, he's my grandfather. So I love the guy. And I still love the guy. I talk about him like he's here. My youngest son is James Alexander Donaldson V. And he's named after my grandfather. So he's the most important person in my life. And he's somebody who I'll never forget. But he's ultimately that person who taught me how to be a man. So today, we're here to talk about the suffering of men. Obviously, we're all men in this room. Mike is still suspect, but <laughs> <laughs> we're still, the, the jury's still out on that one. I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> Why don't both, both Steve and Mark tell the Suffering Podcast audience a little bit about yourselves? Steve, let's start with you this time. Oh, boy. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know how 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 deep you want to go here. Whether you just want kind of the uh, shoe size, blood type, <laughs> you could start there. Date of birth, date of birth, right? I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about my family. I'm married 22 years. I have two kids. I have a, a 17 year old son and a 19 year old daughter. Been in Jersey, just Jersey, born and raised. Uh, this is this is home. Uh, tried to get out for a while. Went to Florida for a couple of years, and it it, it kind of just pulled me pulled me right back. Actually, it was my wife that dragged me back, but. Uh, happy to be back in, in, in many respects. You know, Jersey has that lore to it. You know, it, you, it seems everybody comes back. You, everybody turns into Al Pacino with Jersey. It's every time I get out, they try they, to pull me back in. It's true. I've yeah. been saying for 50 years, I want to move out of this state and I'm still living here. <laughs> so you were what, 25 at the time? Yeah. yeah. No, 24. Wow. Gets rough in this and room. And so it begins. And so you got you to have, have some thick skin. Right off the, right off the bat. But this is all part of being a man. You got to you gotta develop thick skin. I guess so. You got to tell you, sometimes you got to worry about not chapping your ass too much. Sure. So Life will you got drawn back into New Jersey. Yeah. By, yep. of course, women will do it every time. Yeah. That's why this is not the suffering of women. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, just... <laughs> I'm the... Chief Operating Officer for a physical medicine and rehab organization called Performance Rehabilitation and Regenerative Medicine. It's awesome. I mean, I, I get to pour into people. I mean, part of what, what gives me breath in the morning and gets me on my feet is to see people thrive and flourish around me. So that's sort of my daily mission. And that's what I get to do at work every day. So it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's certainly very challenging. You know, I enjoy building a culture and just pouring into people. Could you help people with recent neck surgery? Oh, yeah. That's what we do. That's what we do every day. No joke. I just had three neck surgeries in three months. Is that all? Yeah. Wow. Why only three? (laughs) 
He can't afford to get any shorter. That's the problem. <laughs> that's, that's why I got the surgery. I want to be like an inch taller. So <laughs> you they, and me both. They stretched out my vertebrae a little bit. So Mark Vesper, my old friend. Yes, sir. Mark and I have Great known each see. other for, I believe it's 20 some odd years. It now. is. 21. 20 something. 22, yeah. yeah. It's been a long time. Been a long road. Come a long way. You knew me when I was a little bit more wild, a little bit more crazy. We'll leave it at that. Fair. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. We'll get into those stories later. So let's tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, I'd like to say I've orbited the sun 62 times so far. Born and raised, I'm a Hudson County kid, Jersey City. Just been moving west ever since. Just keep working my way. I'm out in Huntington County now with my family. Beautiful wife, Rhea, four sons from ages 35 to 22. Uh, wow. Yeah, I know. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. That's Jack? Jack is the youngest. Jack is the youngest. Who's What's the oldest name? Jeremy. Jeremy. And Jeremy was 15? Yeah, right. When I first saw him? Correct. Somebody's getting it old, old and it's not me. <laughs> it's okay. I'm, I'm trying to weather it well. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, I'm a sales guy. It's 42 years now. Probably my whole life, but the last 42, somebody's been paying me to sell. Yeah, I've got a fancy title, but what I do every day is I build trusted relationships with big company executives to get them to make decisions to buy services from my company. I'm like an ambassador for my clients at my firm. We do a whole show on the suffering of sales. Oh, yeah. I'm in. Sales or a whole podcast. Sales are rough. And you and I could talk about the beginning. Yeah, you know, every every different industry has its own sales cycle and you especially if you're going into an industry that's brand new to you, you got to figure out the sales cycle. It's a whole thing and there's science involved to it. Unfortunately, with sales, sales has a pockmark on it because it's a job that anybody can get and do and make a, a living wage. Unfortunately, they're not very good at it. They're the ones who usually don't last for 42 years. But in that short time, they screw it up for everybody with bad, bad business. And they ruin it for everybody. So there's yeah, there's there's a whole thing to that. But 42 years. Wow. So you've seen it. You've seen it all come and go. Mm, I've had my, my good days <laughs> and bad like anything else. It's real life in yeah. sales. You know, it's, it's the roller coaster. Now, you gentlemen have both listened to the Suffering Podcast. And I'm very interested to hear what your thoughts are. Because in your lives, in your secondary lives, let's call it, with your men's group, you deal with some suffering. Please tell us your thoughts on the Suffering Podcast. I love this forum. You know, our mutual friend Will said, hey, Kevin's doing this. So I, about <laughs> nine months ago, 10 months ago, I think it was. He was like, listen to this. So I did. I, I was quickly subscribed, listened to the first few, faded a little bit, and then came back. Especially I heard Adam. Adam Burt? Right. I see Adam. Pastor? I'll actually see Adam tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that one just, just rocked me pretty good. I think, I think what you're doing is phenomenal and really enjoy the ball busting is one thing, but <laughs> you don't hesitate to go deep mm -hmm. and you can't have a relationship with a guy unless you're willing to do that. If you're not vulnerable and let them poke at you a little bit. You're just not going to ever get to the, to the bottom of what they're really dealing with to help them grow. The so. hard part of, of sitting in this forum is getting the relationship in such a short period of time. Mike and I, the reason we go at each other so hard is because I've seen him at his, at his worst and he's seen me at my worst. So we've been down there. We, we have that existing relationship. The hard part is meeting new people and making that connection, just like you do in sales, mm -hmm. making that connection instantly where that relationship is built from a handshake, and you're able to sit there and talk to them and make them feel comfortable enough to talk to you, which is difficult. Most times, I don't meet the people just like today. We meet as soon as you come in the door. Right. You know, now you have to build up that rapport real quick and get that trust factor going. And it's not a guy's sweet spot. No. No, no, no. Trust is not the first thing that comes in no. your head when you see another we don't guy. Let, we don't let our guard down. Right. You know, we, we always keep up that big shield around us, and right. you know, you're not going to penetrate this and- and it's the core of what we're talking about. By, by the way, Sarge and I know each other 16, 17 yep, years now. About, about that. So we have that foundation as well. Even though you and I have known each other. We, we haven't seen each other in many, many years. Right. I think the last time was at Will's engagement party. Right. You know, we, we would see each other, contact each other every once in a while. Hey, how you doing? That type of thing. But yep. as far as being around each other for an extended period of time. But I'm very happy to hear somebody who's actively involved in fixing this issue of suffering. And it's not an issue that needs to be fixed. It's an issue that needs to be revealed. Mm -hmm. Steve, 
Yeah. So I listen, I think, I mean, I've listened. I think it's time for a redo, maybe a reboot. Just start from scratch. I think, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Listen, I think I, you guys are going down the so wrong road. So you're telling road. me to take a vacation. I'm in. I'm in. Listen, I couldn't stop listening. I'll be honest. And and I have the attention span of a gnat. So like for me uh, to listen through an entire podcast, you know, listen for an hour, sometimes hour plus, and then go back and listen to more. And, and I think there's a couple of reasons that I think you guys are just doing some some awesome things, and at least for me. One is I just enjoy it because um, I'm a huge supporter of the police, um, and so I was immediately sort of drawn, you know, to you guys. I listened, sort of looked for uh, the podcast where you shared your story, mm-hmm. and again, that that sort of created an uh, an instant I was just drawn to you both and the podcast. But the other thing that I find, and, and you, you, you touched on it in the intro, and it's this, that if you don't have a story of suffering, it's pretty hard to find common ground that leads to a deep connection. Um, Mark and I, were, were you involved in Jobs for Life? Or yeah. the, t- the teen version? Of Power the teen Life? version. So, so we, we used to be a part of this initiative called Jobs for Life. And, and what we did quite simply was connect people that were uh, out of the workforce and struggling to find employment with mentors to help them, coach them, come alongside them as they look for employment. And it's sort of a weekly meeting. And and what I found very early on was as I interviewed mentors for the program was that if a mentor didn't have a story of suffering, they actually had very little to offer the student. What I mean by that and what we saw play out was they came to the table, they came to that peer relationship because that's what it was meant to be with a paternalistic mindset, meaning let me just show you how this is done because I'm, I'm gainfully employed. You're obviously not. I like that concept, paternalistic ideology, I guess you would probably call Absolutely. it. I'm going to show you how this is done, kid. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Yet, on the other hand, on the flip side, those very same people, whether they be executives or otherwise, that came to the that relationship with their own story of suffering, what we found was the students were much more successful. And the reason was they, they developed a relationship and they connected on that common ground. What we started doing was actually turning away mentors that did, my first interview question was, do you have a story of suffering? Tell me about it. And if they didn't, they were disqualified. That's part of the bond. You have to find some sort of commonality. So that's part of the bond. How are you going to go up to a rape victim if you know nothing of rape? Mm-hmm. As a police officer, we go into certain situations where there's a female who just got her ass kicked. I mean, she's beaten. Mm-hmm. The last thing she wants to see is a man who she will put that aggressor's face on us. Right. We've had female officers in here. There's a big community in the law enforcement that says that female cops are a waste of time. This is totally untrue. Because in those situations where a woman was just beaten, you send in a a female, they're going to get that job done because automatically, because she's a female, there's an automatic bond. I like that, that paternalistic, that is, that is deep and it's perfect for this situation. You know, we we had a conversation just this morning about you generally learn more from people who have been through it. You can't tell someone how we're we're talking about, I was just in touch with some an officer that was involved in a shooting last week. And after I talked to him, he sent me a text and said, thank you. He said, you know, everybody's been telling me what to do, but they never went through it. He said, I know you went through it, so I know what you're talking about and what you're doing and, you know, where you're trying to go with it. Well, I think any officer we've ever spoken to that's been involved in shootings, I don't think we tell them what to do. We might tell them, go see this person. Well, just tell them what to expect. What and, to expect. Yeah. We, never, we never tell them what to do. Because everybody's going to react different. Correct. situation like you got to do this no this is what you're gonna this is what you're gonna expect and any mentor any good mentor will have that same type of mentality mm. men suffer a lot people don't see men as true sufferers because we have Hide the upper it. hand we beat our chest we show that false front what do you guys think are some of the ways that men suffer Listen, suffering has, has so many aspects, so many layers, right? Just in even listening to your podcasts and shows up in so many different ways. And, and I think one of the ways it shows up is just with the daily stressors of life, right? Just daily, daily stressors. But most of that is symptomatic. Most of the, the suffering day to day 
often is, is, is symptomatic, but stems from something much deeper. And for many, if not most men, it stems from a place of being wounded or having wounded someone. It comes from a place of woundedness. Either they were wounded or wounded others. And that could be physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, all types of woundedness. Sometimes, obviously, there's severe trauma right? So that's one end of the spectrum, like we hear about on your podcast. And other times, much less traumatic, but over time becomes a part of our story because of the, the, the sort of pattern. I, I believe at the root of most men's suffering is a lack of awareness or recognition of their woundedness. Further, sort of the unresolved nature of it, right? So it's a lack of recognition or awareness that I am wounded. And then what have I done with that? And most men have done nothing with it. Right. There's, there's a lack of healing. So what happens is it becomes a part of our story day to day. Well, I've said this plenty of times in the past that most men, they play tug of war with their past. What that means is you're battling with your past and you're, you're on that one side of that rope and you're pulling and you're pulling and the other side's pulling. That's your past and it's pulling and it's pulling and it's, it's a stalemate for years until one day you figure out, well, I know how I'm going to beat them. I'm just going to let go of the rope. And you watch them tumble. And guess what? No more and you laugh. And you, you <laughs> <laughs> That's always a fun one. <laughs> and there's no more tug of war. Right. And all of a sudden, you've let go of your past. And now you're not involved in that daily battle anymore mm -hmm. over something just as simple that you could have done 20 years prior. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's funny. And it's a really good point. I'm thinking of, of Sarge talking about the wounds, but the part that allows you to take a step forward, because I, I feel like when you're spinning in your wounds and really sometimes don't know what's happening, you're really not making progress anywhere. You start as you get older and get more responsibility, financial, kids, house, mortgage, car. It's a lot of weight on your shoulders. Right. And you, you, get, you get spinning. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is help men say, you can't change that. The suffering isn't necessarily going to end. This journey that we're talking about, the, the work that we're asking you to do isn't going to change what happened, but you can look at it differently, you can react to it differently, and you can move forward. You we've just had, can't do it by yourself. We've had people in here that have, have put it this way, and, and it's very true. It's suffering is a choice. The pains that you go through and the suffering that's thrust upon you, yes, you have no choice, but how you react to it, there's your choice. Mm -hmm. Men are taught to react it, just shut it down. Just shut it down. Swallow right? it. Swallow it. And before you know it, you eat enough of that, it's bad. Right. It's poison. Yeah. So there's a, a, a guy that we really like. You may have heard of John Eldred. So John, yeah. John is a Christian man's man. Okay. He's wild at heart is his most famous piece of work. And he says in there that the reason men suffer and are challenged is because they don't fulfill their calling in life. And he nets it out very simply. There's three callings that a man has. A mountain to climb a battle to win, a princess to rescue. John just lays it out that most men suffer on, on that basis, and we deal with that as well. So those are different types of wounds, but hard to argue with the essence of his message, but you think, think through what he's talking about, and it is at the core of a lot of things that men deal with every day. Mountain to climb, battle to win, princess to rescue. So on that point, Men are taught from a very early age to put themselves in a position of certain expectations. Somebody defined success a long time ago for me, and that's exceeding expectations. Likewise, failure is falling below expectations. So if you take your point right there where boys from a young age are saying, you need a mountain to climb. What was the, th the battle to win? Battle to win and the princess, princess to rescue. I remember the princess. Of course, I remember the princess. <laughs> we always got. We met her up. Yeah, we always got to <laughs> stop. Stop! You're gonna give her. You're gonna give her a big head. To that point, boys are they're having these expectations thrust upon them, right. and if they don't do all three of those plus plus plus, then they fail because they didn't meet expectations. Right, and that's a form of suffering because then you got to deal with that internal struggle of of suffering. So, Mike, do you, what ways do you think that men may suffer besides having to sit with you every Saturday? Yeah, they have to. I have to drive the Mars planes every Saturday. It's suffering. <laughs> no, look, like I said, I think guys tend to internalize everything. Women, I don't think. Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying women don't suffer, but women express themselves. Whether they express themselves to each other, to me, there's never as much a bond as a woman and her mother. 
they always talk to each other and they always get it off their chest. Yeah, but they they sync up with their cycles. That's how much they they emote. Yeah, they, that's that, I know it sounds funny, but that's a real thing. How is that possible? It's oh, like, it's a, oh, it's a real thing. That's right. like wizardry. <laughs> that's like Harry Potter stuff, you know? No, it's God stuff, actually, it's, but it's okay. You it's, can go anywhere you want with that. But the, the, for them to sync up yeah. with each other, right. their cycles, so even God goes, I don't know. If, I don't think I decided <laughs> I, that one. That one might be. Wait, how, how did the suffering of men end up? <laughs> yeah, talking about cycles. Because women, women have a, a way better support system than men they are taught that it's okay to show your feelings it's okay to show your emotions and men deal with stress and trauma in such a piss poor way i don't know where that came from but it's got to change and i think that's what you're trying to do is change the way they deal with that stress and trauma is that correct Absolutely. And I think you, you know, you've mentioned it, you've referenced it actually a handful of times, right? It's the messages we learn as young men or as boys. You, you even quoted some of the things we've, we've heard and heard over and over again, right? Big boys don't cry, you know, put on a stiff upper lip, you know, get up, rub some dirt on it. I mean, these are the messages one way or another we heard in one form or fashion. So in the studio, I have a picture of Rocky standing above the Philadelphia Art Museum, which I was just there a couple of weeks ago. And my condolences. <laughs> well, I just had to take my kids up to the steps at least once in our life. But it's it's not how hard life hits. It's how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. To, that is true to some extent. But that journey from where you get hit to moving forward, what happens in the middle of that and the internal struggle that we have within ourselves, that's where we need to reshape how men do this stuff. Creed. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's okay to cry. Mm -hmm. Since I was able to reawaken certain emotions, because they had been shut down for so long, so long, I'm watching a Winnie the Pooh commercial and I start bawling crying. <laughs> That's the way I deal with stress and trauma now. I'm, I don't want my son to see my my lips quivering over there. I'm holding it in, and you know, my, but again, am I teaching my son the wrong way to do it, or should I just let it go? No, I think you should let it go. <laughs> my son, he'll say, "Dad, you're sissy." Yeah. That's what he'll say. It's okay. <laughs> you're right. Yes, I am. Go ahead. You know, if that's what you want to say, like I said before, my father was my hero, old school Italian, and you really couldn't show emotion. You, no, culturally, that wasn't he. He tells me he loves me all the time. That's about as emotional as he'll get. But in my 55 years, Kev, not, not 75. In my 55 years, I'm just I've, going never, by the way you look. I've never seen my father cry once. Never. I saw my father cry once when my dog died. But that was it. And when his father died. That I did see. But it's tough. We go back to my grandfather. You want to talk about a foreign human emotion? I gave the eulogy at my grandfather's funeral. His lifelong friend was a guy named Jack Hickey. And Jack was just a ball breaker throughout his whole life. Jack had this disease where, I don't know exactly what it was, but he couldn't move. But he was cognizant of everything. Couldn't move. So they wheel him into me, and I'm giving the eulogy. And out of the back, I hear this wailing. This wailing. This, this man's crying uncontrollably because he just lost his best friend. I'm standing up there as a 22-year-old man going, what the hell is this? I don't understand this emotion. Because I was shut off. I think that's the wrong way to deal with stress and trauma. Don't Would you agree? I would. We, we call that caving up. That's our, our term. What men do with their trauma, their suffering, their pain, their wounds, is you cave up. You go into the dark. Obviously, the metaphor, you can't grow in the dark. Men cave up and then act out. That's kind of the process, right? And acting out, it's food, TV, social media, porn, drugs, alcohol, alcohol gambling, violence, and probably the worst, apathy. Yeah. Right? Just the, I don't give a crap, you know. Man. You get to that stage, it's trouble. It's a, it's am, a quit the quitting stage. I am guilty of every single one of those that you said. <laughs> just today alone. Just, today. just this morning, Mike. <laughs> That's scary, though. That's scary that Mark just... Reeled off all those different problems. And at one time, at one point in my life, I've been guilty of every single one of them. Mm -hmm. Do you think most men are that way? Well, it, it, it's a great question. And we're using a lot of generalizations saying, well, 
you know, every man is this, or most men do this. And That's the beauty of podcasting. No degrees, no licenses. We could say whatever the hell we want to say, guys. <laughs> and, and listen, that's a that's a that's a great point. Like you know, Mark and I want to just say we have no no degrees or licenses or credentials that give us any ability to speak to this stuff. You know, from an educational perspective. The only thing I got is experience. A, is is I'm so full of shit, my eyes are brown. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's the only thing I got. But but you know, we ha- we have come across hundreds if not thousands of men in this situation and and what we found is that you know men don't deal with stress and trauma the same way you know a lot of it has to do with things we've already talked about like what they're taught but even more than that it's the it's who they are and how they're wired and so this may be a little bit a little bit of an oversimplification but what we found is you know men typically respond to stress when their backs against the wall they respond one of three ways there's three kind of types of guys that we talk about one is the head guy the heart guy and the gut guy the head guy is very analytical they're the thinker this is the person that at his at his very best this is the guy that we get to help us solve complex problems very gifted in that in that way but in his brokenness in his woundedness it is you know a guy that typically freezes, right? Gets analysis paralysis, freezes, uh, or just runs. You know, his woundedness, the head guy is rooted in, in fear, the wound of fear. The heart guy is the feeler. This is the deep feeler. Uh, very, very different. Typically loves to be around people, loves to gather guys together. This is the guy you go to, you know, you're throwing a party or you want, you want to get a group, you know, to, to show up. You know, you get, you get the heart guy. He often uses humor to connect with people deeply that said in his woundedness often hides behind masks it, when his back's against the wall he'll lie he'll cheat his way out his woundedness the, the heart guy's rooted in deceit or denial lastly the gut guy the gut guy is the man of action they're, they just respond. Their back's against the wall. They're, they're coming at you. They're coming through the wall, man. You know, they're going to take the mountain. This is the guy you get to lead a big project. Hey, that's the mountain we got to take. I'm, I'm your man. Let's go. Let's get it done. I'm his, trying to figure out which one I am, by the way. Yeah, I'm just yeah. So his woundedness it's is... Combination. His, well, exactly. So his woundedness is primarily rooted in anger. Right. And it, it may not be, it, it could be the kind of anger that you stuff and stuff and it just kind of seeps out here and there over time, or it could just be the type that just erupts and explodes different, different types of anger guys, but that's the gut guy. So the, these three types of men deal with stress in very different ways, right? So you think of it in terms of, Hey, you, you, you get a phone call that, you know, your, your bank account's been emptied and you've got financial stress. They're taking your home. They're repoing the cars. Like, but you know, what's your initial reaction? Is it, is it fight? Is it run? Is it deny that there's a problem at all? You know, and then the other thing we, we, we realize is that anger is not a root emotion. You know, fear, Kill. you know, deceit are, are root emotions. Anger is not. So anger and most guys, another generalization, but most guys are gut guys. They're angry men and it's rooted in something underneath their anger. And typically that's sadness. It's loss. Underneath that, we just keep stuffing and stuffing and stuffing, especially if the message we learned was no crying. Don't feel that sadness. Well, take, a, take a child. My children are 11 and 8. Take a child, especially an 8-year-old. Smack him across the face. What are you going to get? You're going to get tears. Sure. And you're going to smack from your wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different type of suffering. Now take a grown man, smack him across the face. What's the likely emotion that you're going to get out of him? And it all comes from pain. It's the same root. It's pain. What's what are you going to get? You're going to get anger, anger. or get anger. you're going to get a guy that just runs for the Flight. hills, yep. right? Yeah, the night of my just, shooting was one of those guys. <laughs> He's one of our guys too. Thank you. I appreciate that for leaving me for dead. But and that's a no, mm. that's another problem. Mm-hmm. And again, it's rooted in which type of guy we are. It's rooted in some kind of woundedness. But you'll never know what type of guy you are until you reach that barrier, that suffering point. That one event, you'll never know what kind of guy you are until you get there. Mm-hmm. And then once you identify what kind of guy you are, I'm assuming that's going to help you in your work now as far as helping others. It does. A lot. And interestingly, there there's a litmus test here. What we're talking about, I don't think applies to teenage boys really well, for instance. They haven't had the trials. They haven't been – they haven't stressed the system most of the men we're talking about have wounds. They're addicted to something and ultimately come to us with a story of that moment where they're tested. 
-hmm. And we, once we understand how they react, the simple fact that they've shown up and are talking about it is such a huge part of this. That's a big step for a guy to show up, to step up and say he needs help. Yep. And I think that's why I think a lot of guys do suffer more than women do. Yeah. And there's tr trust is the answer. I don't want to overgeneralize either because it's okay, but that's what we tr do. Trust is the foundation of that. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. As a psychiatrist. It's, well, a lawyer, you know, yeah. Listen, everybody's afraid to overgeneralize. Right. If there's 80% of the people that do something, you're not overgeneralizing. Right. And I'd, I'd have to say that's probably a safe thing for you to say yeah. is the things you're talking about, the vast majority of men do these things. You know, there, there was a scene, I was just watching Young Frankenstein with my son the other night, and there's a scene when awesome. Gene Wilder, it just fits in with your concept so well. <laughs> Gene Wilder is telling, you're a good monster. Look at this good boy. And the monster, what's he do? <laughs> Peter Boyle. Peter Boyle just starts crying. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about here. Yeah. I can't help but say, I have to say, put the candle back. <laughs> put, Come on. Put the candle back. The right. candle back. So that men seem to hold all these different emotions inside until that event happens. And then they just, bleh, then they just throw it up. Yes. But along the way, day to day, this stuff comes out. It's trying to work its way out. And so this is the this is the suffering that I was talking about earlier when I say like, yeah, men are suffering on a day-to-day -day basis or making other people around them suffer because this stuff's trying to get out. Mm. And so it might look like just having a cutting tongue toward toward my wife or it might look like, you know, lying and cheating just a little bit over here. You know, why do I do that? Do I even, am I even aware that I do that? And sometimes it's, because not everybody comes to that moment where- there's there's a traumatic life defining moment that's a tragic life to me when you don't you're not put to that ultimate test and i believe that's where most men live yeah it's just a, it's really an unfulfilled life if if they can't come to that moment in their life to tell them who they are absolutely you hit the nail on the head moment of clarity we talked mm. about that before too just your your life this is your defining moment in your life now the here's here comes the problem. The problem is is those people who meet that defining moment in their life and don't use that trauma or that stress to take it one step further. This is just me. I am a big believer that if you go through any type of stress and trauma and you don't use that, rework it and put it back out in the world for good, it's really a wasted opportunity. Mm. I just can't see why somebody would do that. How do you suggest that men move on with their trauma in your group? Well, there's coping behaviors like what do you do next? Mm -hmm. We already got through the you cave up, you act out, things, things of that sort. You isolate. Mm -hmm. And that's a downward spiral. You're heading, heading in a bad direction. Men generally, I mean, pride is a, I say truth is a cornerstone of kind of the, the fix and trust. <laughs> but that vulnerability and being honest with each other is just not a man's sweet spot. Again, it's trying to help another guy understand that by dropping the mask, taking some of the layers off of your, your posers. I mean, come on, we're posers. I, I'm not saying you are. I'm saying I am. And, time to time I am. Right. And, and ultimately stop pretending it's okay to tell your truth and there's no judgment. I think that's, that's the next big step here is that generally speaking, a man isn't going to put his truth out there because he's going to be judged. And society judges harshly. Yeah, you're not kidding. But men, go ahead. The, no, this is, this is how you relieve other people's suffering. I don't know this for a fact, but I'm going to assume both of you have gone through your own little trials and your own little suffering. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in a position to do what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. So do you share that as a way to connect and ultimately try to relieve somebody else's pain? Your own personal story? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and we're very different, right? We come from different backgrounds and every man's story is different. I don't happen to have a rags to riches story, but I've got mine. And, and what I think men see for me is my willingness to, to get men together in, in a, a safe place. And that's really key that they feel safe there and that there's no judgment. There's accountability. We say in, in the Band of Brothers, that happens to be the name of the group that I, I work with and have for 16 years. You can get a hug or a kick in the ass, whichever you need. And they're and, both effective. And you know what? And we kind of decide. 
So it's it. You well, might... That's what Adam Burt talks about. Did you hear the horse story that he talked about on his episode? Because he's told it several different times to me. So as he buys his daughter a horse, and we'll give you the abridged version. It's a lot of money to bri- to board a horse in New Jersey, so he sends it down to his sister in the Carolinas or something like that. First night down there, there's a huge rainstorm. Horse gets stuck up into its chest in the mud, can't get out. Now they got to get a backhoe to dig it out. He's thinking, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Horse trainer comes over, looks the horse right in the eye and says, you can do this. You can do this. And then hits the horse on the back several times. And Adam turns to us and says, isn't that the truth that every once in a while we need a kick in a, a nice smack in the ass to get going? Absolutely. Yeah. How did it feel the first time that you, or you let your story out? How did that feel? Well, there's a, obviously a freedom there, but I do it every two weeks. You know, in order to get men to talk and to share their truth, you have to model that behavior for them. Um, we have found you. You have to show them that you've been there. Right. Was this when you were molested by Will Fern? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Will, that's a little inside ed, joke. Ed, that, I know Will's going to be listening. <laughs> oh, oh, he's the one that listens? That was yeah, Kevin. he's the one. That's your listener? That's my listener. Yeah. yeah, I could tell many suffering stories about Will Fern, but I'll save them for another day. Because oh. <laughs> I know for me, and I talk about shedding armor. In my life, different traumas have happened to me. I've seen different traumas and different traumas that happened to me. And every time something happens, I would put on a new piece of armor. And I, I want you to envision a samurai warrior. You know, they have all those different pieces of lobster armor on them. And anytime they'd see something new or so, a new battle and they got hit somewhere, they didn't want to get hit there again. So they put on a new piece of armor and then another piece of armor. And before you know it, after a long career, you can hardly stand up because you have all this armor on there until ultimately you can't move. And then once you start letting go of that trauma, you ultimately start dropping armor and you realize like, wow, it feels pretty good. It feels pretty good. And then you let some more go and you let some more go. Now, what you find is after you've dropped the majority of your armor that you've been carrying around for 20 years, it's like doing a a 20 year lunge with barbell on your back. You know, you're all of a sudden you're real super strong because you've been carrying around all this weight all those years. And that's the strength you gentlemen are taking to other people. Like, Steve, what, first time you ever told your, your suffering story to anybody, what was your after action? This is a really long time ago. Hard, hard to remember. But, you know, I can remember having crippling fear of judgment, crippling fear of being judged when I first shared it. And, and then recognizing the compassionate response that I received and even the, the potential impact that that story had on who I was sharing it with. Right. I began to feel more comfortable, more and more comfortable, you know, sharing that story. And even in detail that said, you know, my story is not, you know, probably, you know, appropriate or applicable to be shared with everyone. So I think that requires wisdom. It requires discernment. But what is required of me is that I live an authentic, transparent life. I think know? it's, I think part of it too is, it, I know at least for me, is I'm afraid of that stigma that's going to be attached to me for the rest of my life. If I tell my pains and my suffering, I'm going to have this certain thing attached to me. Mm-hmm. And you know what I say to that little voice in my head that says that? To hell with you. Mm-hmm. Get the F away from me now. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care what stigma is going to be put. Listen, I, I, I'm very open and honest about it. I had a gun put in my mouth. You can call me weak. You can call me whatever you want. I don't care. What I do care about is when I tell that story, number one, it's not totally unself-serving because I feel lighter. Number two, people will come up to me. We just did a speech a couple weeks ago at at a, a mental health retreat for Blue Magazine. People came up to me afterwards like, wow, that was me. That was me. And I did this and I did it. And, and shaking my hand and thanking you and you're not looking for any of that stuff when you let go of those stories Mm -hmm. but when you get that stuff you're like ah i i reached that one person Mm -hmm. and that's what it's all about Mm -hmm. and that's what you guys are doing i think it's fantastic so it's band of brothers how did that please tell me it came about because of oh yeah spielberg and hanks are still chasing (laughs) Um, but so it, it started back in like 2005 Okay. I guess Band of Brothers, uh, the show. 2001 or two? Two, right. So, yeah. I mean, and it wasn't my idea, actually, at first. There was another guy who did that. But the genesis of that 
men's group it was need on my part. And m- one of my greatest sins is pride. Finding some other men, we jo- we had joined a church and we had what's called a life group. A life group is just simply people you do live your life with. You meet on Sundays, the kids are there, the parents are talking about parent stuff. You get you know play with the kids, have some food, and and start living together. Just build community outside the church building, mm-hmm. as it were. And there were a couple of guys in there that seemed pretty cool. And looking around my life, I was just like, I don't really have any friends. You know, like, <laughs> Today, he still my, doesn't have any. <laughs> I, I have one. He had to I come drove, all the way back here to sorta. see Kevin twenty-one years later. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> You're just trying to re, you know, see what going right to the well to see what's left. <laughs> but no, I get that because there's there's a church in town here that put in a coffee shop inside their building, mm-hmm. which I think is a fantastic idea because number one, they have young men and women with disabilities working the place. The money that's earned from that coffee shop doesn't go to the church. It goes to their charity. What better source of building community is there to sit down and have a cup of coffee with each other? Because this meeting together together with all of us initially was just going to be a cup of coffee. Mark is working on some – Mark and Steve are working on some different projects, and they had asked for what – you're coming to the wrong guy, just so you know. No, just so you know. Not true. You're coming to the wrong guy. But anyway, this was supposed to just be a cup of coffee. And you were telling me a little bit about your stuff. And I hung up the phone with you. And I go, my God, that's a, that's a fantastic idea for a show. And I, I called you back within five minutes. And I said, Mark, this is what this is what we should do. And you can we can discuss the rest of the stuff afterwards. And that's how this all worked out. But it's that sense of community that I'm really, I really enjoy that. Because I think that churches... In general, in recent, in say the recent 50 years of the United States anyway, have really lost that sense of community. And now I see the new church is trying to bring it back. And I'm very happy to see that stuff because in the 17 and 1800s, that's what churches were. They were community based. The men got together and did whatever unhealthy behaviors they did, but at least they were all together. The women all got together and did their thing. The kids all played with each other. The kids married within the church and that's wonderful. Now, did this was born from a church or is it from people you met in church? The latter. So this was just a need of mine to want to get some guys together. And I just said one Thursday night, hey, come on over. And for me, that means football, food, you know, something, a fire. Let's just hang. And over 16 years, it has taken different paths. We used to have meetings, no joke, guys, where there were 30 men would show up here. And, it, and, and now – a great meeting has between six and say 12 guys. It's much more intimate, a, a safe place to come talk about your truth. No PhDs, no your counsel- truth. Circle back to that one. Your truth doesn't have to be reality. It just has to be your truth. Right. Yeah. Without judgment, you're, you're going to be a little vulnerable there. We, I model, somebody models it well first. So I'm pouring my, my crap story out. Every other Thursday, I have a little counseling session around a fire. And, <laughs> and it, it has served you well, let me just say. Thank you. <laughs> and your family. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's, it's interesting in a lot of ways. And this is the Band of Brothers. There's no dues. There's no agenda. It's not a Bible study. It's not a prayer meeting. It's not a music. But we, we do talk about the Bible a lot. We pray for each other a lot, but mostly for the two hours of the meeting, an hour of it, an hour and 15, is just talking about a topic of real life, just a challenge we're dealing with, a victory we had, something like that. And for 16 years, my family has watched strangers walk into my house. Kind of like coming down to the basement to record a podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, the, but you have Mandy to, uh, you know, Mandy, sniff Mandy, out. Yeah, Mandy, my right. dog, is, my, is, is the security for us. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, some, you know, sometimes, I mean, I'm remembering now, you know, I'm just thinking back over the years. I mean, you'd have, you know, some stranger show up, walk down, you know, the the, the, the steps to Mark's basement in pajamas at, uh, no joke, in pajamas at, you know, as the group's about to finish and kind of go home for the night and has got to vomit. We, and, call, we call it show up and throw up. <laughs> and, and is, you know, now everybody's there for another two, three hours. And, you know, this guy's getting whatever he needs to get off his chest and getting loved on and getting cared for. And, you know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's transformational. I, I think it's important. I mean, a couple things to getting together 
meeting and in in, you know getting together in a group meeting like that. And Mike and I, yourself. Mike and I are involved in group therapy with other officers who are involved in shootings. Sure. So I understand the group dynamic very, very well, and Mike does as well. For a long time, that's kind of the place that I felt normal amongst my peers with men who you both share your stories. They may feel comfortable enough to open up to you, or that's the place where they feel normal, where they're understood, and like you said, their truth. I don't care if they have big three foot bugs flying at their head. As long as they believe it, it's a, it's a reality. Mike and I understand group dynamic. Extremely that, well. that in the safe place and not being judgmental. Mm-hmm. There's a quote that we use on here quite a bit. It's if you haven't walked in my shoes, don't try to tie my laces. Mm-hmm. And I think that is great. If you haven't seen what I go through, mm-hmm. don't judge me on it. You don't know what I'm going through. Right. Well, that's part of your whole group from what you've just told me that, you share your story. These men know that, okay, right, this guy's a little dented, just like me. Mm-hmm. And I feel more comfortable speaking with somebody like that. Just yeah. to bring it full circle. Yes. And look, I don't do this anymore because we've been meeting outside more than anything around a fire. And it's very manly too. But we, we met <laughs> Throw for- Throw football around for a little while. Right. And- we met for 14 years in my basement. And that's what, it's like come to the basement. Very often, I would put a hammer and a, duck, and a roll of duct tape on the table. Just to remind everybody, we're not here to fix anybody. Because men's first reaction when you tell me your truth and you're broken, I'll fix you. Yeah. Like <laughs> you need, you need, you need a tube of lube there too. Duct tape, a hammer, and lube it fixes anything. <laughs> okay, I'll take WD. How that? There you go. There you go. But that that's a reminder for me more than anyone because I there was a long season in this 16 years, probably three, four, five years, where I used to take on that weight. Of, oh my gosh, this guy is like addicted to this or broken from that. And, and like, do I have to find him a counselor? And I would literally go back to church and talk to pastors and, and friends, you know, confidants and say, what do I do with this? It wasn't my job to fix them. And then once I got that, somebody told me that, I started reminding myself and then reminding the group, we're not fixing. We're putting it out there. We're just saying to somebody, come alongside me. It's just better to do it anything but alone. Well, do it two, three, five. You can do it in your group therapy. Alone is a hard word to handle. Right. And if you share mutual experiences and show people that they are not alone, because it's what Mike and I stress all the time, but you did touch on something where you start taking on the trauma and the stress of somebody else because you're trying to fix them or ultimately want to provide some sort of assistance. Right. This is something we know all too well. By the end of recording days for us, especially if we're doing long days and we're hearing some really rotten stories, you just sort of got to chill out for a couple hours. Decompress. Decompress and just breathe and breathe. In the beginning of this show, there were certain times where we tried to, I don't want to say fix, but really provide some true assistance to people and who weren't really ready to take that assistance kind of backfired on us mm-hmm. kind of backfired us and which made my life a little bit more difficult mm-hmm. so no good deed goes unpunished when it comes to that that thing right. we're coming to the end of this thing now i've taken many different lessons from mark aside from the vesperian pause so i want to steve i want to sounds I'm, like a sales strategy yeah here, here we go, we go. i'm going to i'm going to share with everybody and <laughs> I have the benefit of listening to these shows and going through them, editing them. And every time I say, um, or, ah, I'm like, son of a gun. Cause I take the Vesperian approach. Anytime you're at a lack for words, instead of saying, uh, ah, breathe and just breathe. And that's a very good metaphor for life. Anytime you come to a crossroads in your life where you, you don't know what to do rather than stutter stepping and rushing off into a direction that may not be your best interest, just breathe. But like I said, we're coming to the end of this thing now. And you've seen and heard all these different suffering stories aside from your own personal stories. What do you think the suffering's taught you, Steve? I think primarily is that, you know, this goes back to kind of where, where I started and uh, in, in answering the question, you know, just tell me about yourself. And, and that is, you know, why do I get up every morning? Why do I, you know, not everybody's going to wake up tomorrow morning. I have breath in my lungs today. 
what am I going to do with that? And every breath I take, every Vesperian pause I take, it's one less breath. We all get so many. You think I'm lying, Mark. That is a real thing. I use it constantly. <laughs> and now I do. <sighs> so um, I got the Vesperian hiccups today. <laughs> Talk about editing. <laughs> so so the, the question is, what are we going to do with the breath we've been given? And do I have clarity about that? And so what I've learned from the suffering is that, and, and this to me, again, is what your podcast is all about, is that I've been given gifts, giftedness, and unfortunately, I've also been given some woundedness been wounded and wounded others. And where those two come together, my giftedness and my woundedness come together, that's my mission in life. That's my mission. That's what I get to do every day. And so what I've learned about suffering is the closer I can get to acknowledging it, being aware of it and integrating it with my giftedness, using it, tapping into it as you guys have done and how you model so well. Well, First the, time the, I've ever been called a model, by the, the way. The more fulfilled. Yeah, yeah and, I, you, and I use that term very loosely. <laughs> He's a before model. I was going to say, yeah, he didn't give you the, the descriptor before the word model. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, threw, I threw Steve a 20 just to build my ego up a little bit. It worked. Oh, man. So that, that, you know, that, that's what I've learned. I'm going to live a more fulfilled life by allowing that suffering to define who I am because it is part of who I am. Secondarily, I think to... You know, as a dad, as a husband and a dad, but particularly a dad and particularly a dad of a son, acknowledging my mistakes and imperfections has huge impact on who my son becomes as a man. And I can do that by apologizing mm. when I wrong Amen. him, by asking for forgiveness. You, you remember the, the commercial, never let him see you sweat, right? Mm -hmm. Never let him see you sweat. No, let them see you sweat. Let them see you sweat. Let them see you cry. Let them see me fall on my knees in a place of complete surrender. Now I'm really modeling manhood for my son. So those are some of the things that I've learned. Mark, how about you? What has this suffering taught you? It continues to teach me every day. The, the theme for me is suffering. What we've learned is that this suffering we're talking about, and again, it's different for every man, but it's taught us that the value of of authentic community is immeasurable. That's what you, you gentlemen have built is your authentic community around suffering. And we try to do it with men as well. Uh, and, and you just, you don't need me to tell you, look up authenticity. Men will crave a chance to, to be authentic. We believe if you give them an opportunity, it's just that at home, at home, you're your dad's self, and with your wife, you're your husband's self, and at work, you're your work self. And these are just, I don't necessarily mean masks in a bad way, but we adjust. We adjust ourselves. So authentic community uh, is, is something, a, a big, big lesson. Uh, I couldn't agree more with Sarge about, you know, the old saying where you remember X amount of what you read, uh, X amount of what you hear, and X amount of what you write down. But the best thing is all three. So Listen to it, read it, and then write it down. You remember? Well, we, we also show so much of this is why we model behaviors and we talk about things that we know we've done. You said it, you or Mike said it earlier. It helps if you've been there. If you can tell a story from someone else, that's cool. But showing people what really are the causes of your woundedness and then what good can come from where we are, Band of Brothers, people come in and out. People will come and do what Sarge said, show up in jammies, throw up, and never come back again. Mm. And for a while, I was like, what the? Like, what do I do with that? <laughs> but it isn't for me to decide what to do with that. That's what they needed at that time. So to net it out, I would just say that there is no perfect prescription. This is not a, a model that I think you write down. Of, of, of This journey is messy. What we've learned in doing this, look, we're, we're faithful men of faith, right? We believe in God. And ultimately, that journey where we use faith as a foundation, I mentioned trust earlier as a, a fundamental building block. For us, faith is in there. It doesn't mean things get easier all of a sudden because you're authentic and vulnerable. As a matter of fact, there are some really messy parts to this journey. We've, we've been in them. We've mm -hmm. waded into that pool and it's ugly. But... There are good answers here. Get men around you. Somebody's got a chisel. Start chiseling away that crap you've piled on yourself over your life. There's a masterpiece under there. You know, our, our motto or, or slogan for, for our podcast is, we're not broken, but we're pretty dented. Hmm. 
I was explaining it to someone the other day. I said, it's like, it's like a car. A car with dents in it could ride all day. As long as the engine, which is your, your brain, isn't dented. It's good to show people that you have dents, that you have these dents. That was one of the hardest things I had was going to these different doctors who had no clue what I was, what I was going through. You know, just because they got a degree, they think they know what's going through my head. It didn't help me until I started talking to guys like Kevin and guys from our group that went through it. And we showed everybody all of our dents mm. and showed them that we're not perfect. Thank you, gentlemen, very much for coming in today. I think you got a, a wonderful story. If somebody was so inclined to join your group, are you taking new members? Are you, do you have a presence anywhere? Yes and no. I mean, we're, it's, there's multiple groups, by the way. There's no one answer. There, there are much more. Or Marked Men for Christ is another organization we're, we're strongly behind. We have a, a weekend coming up uh, with that now. And some of them are well-organized, got the website, maybe the podcast. This is a global ministry, Marked Men. Bob is in my basement. And Bob meaning band of brothers. Right. I'm sorry. We actually call it Bob. Bob. Everybody call it. Where are you going? If the people are leaving, they leave their house. They say, honey, where are you going? Going to Bob. Going to Bob. Going to see Bob. You said you had Bob in your basement. I thought maybe you're holding holding (laughs) a captive or something. (laughs) That would be Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you do get something up and running, please let me know and we'll promote the hell out of it because I think you're providing a very necessary, not a helpful, a necessary service to men because there's not enough of you out there. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for what you do and continue doing it. Thanks, man. So let's think about all the stuff that we learned today. When you come to that crossroad, take a Vesperian pause. Men are in need to be a band of brothers. Don't cave up. Things can't grow in the dark. And most importantly, don't fall over the bluff of man. Thank you all for joining us for this episode of The Suffering Podcast, The Suffering of Men. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and we will see you on the next episode of The Suffering Podcast. 